Good morning. So let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we are going to be seeking you, seeking to put you at center of our lives, seeking to put you at uh, the center of our um, relationships and experiences. And we ask that the spirit of truth will join us, allow us to uh, have love for the truth and follow it, even if it's an uncomfortable truth, Lord, and that we can be patient and gracious with others who may see things differently but ultimately practice your methods in how we approach difficult topics. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Before we get into the uh, lesson for this week, uh, some comments I've made over the last several months have triggered concerns, and I've received uh, various posts, texts, emails, and I'm going to read an email I received this week that is representative of some of these concerns, and I believe these need to be addressed publicly. But before I do, I need to prepare you that this topic is a hard topic. It's often emotional and visceral, and this can cause people to react without contemplative thought and act, react on some emotional gut level. And the only way, and that can lead to division rather than unity. And the only way we can successfully address, in my view, this concerns is with humble hearts filled with the Spirit, willingness to follow truth wherever the truth leads. So before I read the email, I want to make a few comments. Our goal at Come and Reason Ministries is, first and foremost, to glorify God, to speak well of our Creator, and to reveal His character and methods of love in the most winsome and accurate way possible, to apply His methods in our lives, and in doing so, help people learn to discern, to develop their God-given reasoning powers to think for themselves, to grow into the full stature of sons and daughters of God. To this end, we frequently seek to not only reveal God's character, methods, principles, warring against the prince of darkness through scripture and history, but we explore how this battle enters into our lives today. Many years ago, I read the following paragraph from the book Education, and it became a philosophy for me, something I've strived to achieve and that we at Cummins Ministries Apply. This is out of the book Education, page 190. The student should learn to view the word as a whole, to see the relation of its parts. He should gain a knowledge of the grand central theme of God's original purpose for the world, of the rise of the great controversy and the work of redemption. He should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. That's the second coming. We should see how it's working all the way up. He should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience. How in every act of life, himself, uh, he himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives. And how whether he will or not, he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he'll be found. This is why I consistently teach from Scripture, focusing on God's design laws, providing examples from Scripture and history, but I frequently seek to apply these principles to what's happening in our world today because it enters into every phase of human experience. But unfortunately, speaking about events in our own hearts, our own churches, our own cities, our own countries can sometimes be misunderstood, can sometimes allow people to believe that I have stopped teaching the gospel, and become a political activist. 
to the degree that my comments lend themselves easily to be misconstrued as advocating for a political intervention or interpretation, I regret this, and I will seek to do better to be clear. I do not advocate for political parties. My comments are intended to demonstrate the two antagonistic principles active in every phase of our life. So let me say this very plainly and clearly. I do not now, nor have I in the past, advocated for any political party or politician. I do advocate for the principles of God's kingdom and have written about those principles and how God's are at war with uh, Satan's principles and how they're interacting in our lives. I explored this in my blog, Why Satan Hates the U.S. Constitution. The same author who wrote the book Education wrote the, fo- wrote the following in the book The Great Controversy. She applies God's principles to history, demonstrating how the two antagonistic principles really do enter into human government and where the United States fits into all this. This is from page 441 of the book Great Controversy. And he had two horns like a lamb. The lamb-like horns indicated youth and innocence and gentleness, fitly representing the character of the United States when, it pre- when presented with the prof- to the prophet as coming up in 1798. Among the Christian exiles who first fled to America, notice the people fleeing to America, Christian exiles fleeing persecution. Among the Christian exiles who fled to America and sought an asylum from royal oppression and priestly intolerance, notice the two, two oppressing powers, state oppression, royalty, aristocracy, the power brokers, and priestly church intolerance were many who determined to establish a government upon the broad foundation of civil and religious liberty. Notice the two principles here. Their view found place in the Declaration of Independence, which set forth the great truth that, quote, all men are created equal, and endo- unquote, and endowed with inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is, again, Great Controversy 441. Notice the difference here between equality and equity. Equality is equality of moral worth, endowed by God with the same value as human beings, created in his image with the same rights to life and liberty of person and the pursuit of happiness. The design laws of God equally apply to all people, but none are promised equal outcomes equal talent, equal abilities. In fact, in God's kingdom, we are given specifically different talents or gifts from the Spirit so we can complement each other. We are not promised equal roles or equal income or equal happiness because happiness is a byproduct of healthiness. And healthiness is a result of living in harmony with God's law. And so if you don't live in harmony with God's law, you won't be healthy and you won't be happy. That's how reality works. Outcomes cannot be given, only liberty, opportunity. Governments can seek to restrain the abusive powers from encroaching upon our individual liberties. That's what the Constitution is for, to restrain the government itself, to restrain the aristocracies, the big business and corporations, and to restrain the church from encroaching upon individual liberty. Equity, though, turns this upside down. It seeks to undermine liberty and encroach upon opportunity by forcing outcomes upon people based on some factor that is irrelevant to the position like skin color or gender, rather than merit, talent, and achievement. Continuing on with the quote from the Great Controversy. And the Constitution guarantees to the people the right of self-government, providing the representatives elected um, by the popular vote shall enact and administer the laws. 
Freedom of religious faith was also granted, every man being permitted to worship God according to the dictates of his conscience. Republicanism and Protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. These are the outworkings of the law of liberty, one of God's design laws. Freedom of conscience, freedom of individual decision-making, civic liberties of freedom of speech and expression and travel and, and assembly. This is the secret to the U.S. power and prosperity. So if you're an enemy of the United States, an enemy of individual development, what do you need to attack in order to destroy and crush the power and prosperity of the United States? You need to attack republicanism and Protestantism, which is religious and civic liberty. The, continuing on with the quote, the oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations on earth. Now, why are millions seeking our shores? And, and do you think that has stopped, or is that happening still today in 2021? Millions seeking. I don't know if you saw the news, but yesterday a milestone was hit at the southern border. For the first time, one million illegal aliens were arrested at the border in the last five months since, or six months since this administration took over. Why are they flooding in so much? Because... Isn't the narrative we're being told today that America is the most racist, abusive, corrupt country in the entire world and anybody that has not white, has no privileges here and will be abused and exploited? Isn't that the narrative? So why are millions flocking here? This is the difference between proclamation, declaration, statements, which, are, which the devil has because he's a liar and he gets lots of them, and actual evidence how reality works. If the doc proclamations and declarations are true you wouldn't have millions flooding into this country. How many millions are flooding into China? <laughs> Seriously, folks. Or Russia. or Russia. You don't have millions flocking into those countries. There's a reason for that. And if you've developed your God-given reasoning capacities to discern the difference between narrative, claim, proclamation, and actual reality, then you won't be taken in. But if you haven't developed that, then you're very vulnerable to deception. Continuing on. The author of the Great Controversy was the author of the Great Controversy writing this about the United States, about the, the secret of, of, uh, of um, republicanism and Protestantism and so forth. Was she, was she being political? Talking about these things and how they operate in our lives, it's not being political. It's not advocating for parties or politicians. It's advocating for principles upon which health and life operate. And these principles are under, are they, do you see them under attack in our society today? Do you see how the two principles are warring out in every phase of our life right now? In another blog, The Law of Liberty and Society Today, I described one of God's design laws, the law of liberty. I describe how love requires freedom, that whenever you take liberties from a person, try to coerce and pressure them, love is damaged. A desire to rebel and be free is instilled in the heart. But if they surrender to that, if they comply with that, over the course of time, individuality is eroded. They become shadow people. They lose the capacity to think. They, they collude and comply. In another blog, beware the current, beware, 
The current claims of institutional racism is really an attack on Christianity. And I document God's principles as described in Scripture, his design for humanity. And I document four big designs for humanity. God created human beings with individuality, with our own identity and ability to think and reason that we are to develop through exercise, and this requires liberty, freedom of conscience, and choice. Two, second principle, God created families with fathers and mothers, and that love for each other starts in the family and is how God built life to operate. Three, God created nature, and his laws are the protocols upon which nature operates. Thus, God created true science and true investigation of evidence that is testable and reproducible and reveals truth. Four, God designed humans to for useful labor and gave Adam and Eve work in a sinless world, and that when we only gain strength through exercise, the law of exertion, thus failure to engage in useful labor is damaging to human character. These are four principles I outlined from Scripture. After describing these Bible principles in this blog, I quote word for word from a chart from the National Museum of African American History and Culture posted in the Smithsonian Institution. And it stated, quote, White dominant culture or whiteness refers to the way white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States, unquote. And then they went on and listed specific practices that are whiteism, white power, racist, anti-black, and here's what they listed. One, rugged individualism. If you have an individual identity and you develop your individual, that's whiteism. Two, a two-parent family structure. Three, emphasis on scientific method, thinking from cause to effect, evidence-based outcomes rather than believing someone in authority. Four, a European-centered history. And five, Protestant work ethic was listed specifically. What this reveals is that what is happening in America today is an attempt to attack the principles of God, the principles of the Bible, by labeling these very principles as racist, as whiteism. So putting together what we've read so far, there are two antagonistic principles at war in human history. God's principles of truth, love, freedom, development of individuality, equality of all people as children of God, warring against Satan's principles of lies, selfishness, coercion, people merely animals evolved from lower forms. We war against Satan's lies about God, including those that try to reframe the principles of republicanism and Protestantism as whiteism. It is not. And we must stop buying into this narrative. The same author who wrote the book Education and the book, The Great Controversy, describe the dangers of letting others do our thinking for us when we believe based on authority rather than discerning the truth for ourselves. When we believe based on upon who said it rather than upon the evidence, whether it be the pastor, the conference president, the pope, the governor, a CNN or Fox News anchor, a CDC or NIH official, or whomever. When we believe based on authority rather than being able to evaluate evidence for ourselves, we damage our minds, and she says we become unfit for heaven. It is like a person who takes math classes, But instead of learning how to work problems, they simply memorize the answers the teacher gives. 
Even if they have the right answers, they still have no ability to do math or solve problems. This is happening in society today. People don't know how to solve problems, how to differentiate between claims, proclamations, narratives, declarations, and actual evidence. Listen to this author out of a book called Second Testimonies, page 129. If we mistake the wisdom of man for the wisdom of God, we are led astray by the foolishness of man's wisdom. Here is the great danger of many. They have not an experience for themselves. They have not been in the habit of prayerfully considering for themselves with unprejudiced, unbiased judgment questions and subjects that are new and that are ever liable to arise. They wait to see what others will think. If these dissent, that is all that's needed to convince them that the subject under consideration is of no account whatever. Although this class is large, it does not change the fact that they are inexperienced and weak-minded through long yielding to the enemy and will always be sickly as babes, walking by others' light, living on others' experience, feeling as others feel, acting as others act. They act as though they had not an individuality. Their identity is submerged in others. They are merely shadows of those whom they think are right. Unless these become sensible of their wavering character and correct it, they will all fail of everlasting life. They will be unable to cope with the perils of the last days. I'm telling you folks, we're in the perils of the last days right now. And millions are demonstrating how they do not have yet not developed the capacity to think for themselves. They believe the person in authority. And if they say it, I believe it, just like this is being described. Can you go on with the quote? They will all fail everlasting life. They will possess no stamina to resist the devil, for they do not know what is he. Someone must be at their side to inform them whether a foe or friend is approaching. They are not spiritual. Therefore, spiritual things are not discerned. They are not wise in those things which relate to the kingdom of God. Neither young nor old are excusable in trusting another to have an experience for them. A noble self-reliance is needed in the Christian experience and warfare, a noble self-reliance. Do we see this in society today? Do we see millions believing what they're told rather than differentiating evidence from spin, the interpretation of evidence given by others? Just a week ago, I posted a blog, Your Mind and Media Manipulation, How to Protect Yourself, in which I unpacked the difference between facts and interpretation of facts and how the media often presents things 180 degrees opposite of what the facts say. This is critical because our decision-making is only as good as the information upon which it's based. If you want to control people, then you prevent them from having accurate information. You keep them ignorant. This is what all communists and totalitarian governments do. This is what the Church of the Dark Ages did by locking away the Scriptures from people. But God is the God of truth, and truth always heals and frees, which is what happened when the Bible was translated in the language of the people, and they started reading it for themselves. And when they started reading the Scripture and they understood God's principles, republicanism and Protestantism came about. Liberty, equality, and justice for all. 
Those who operate under God's methods don't, uh, don't seek. We don't seek to silence the opposition voices. In fact, we invite them because truth loses nothing by close investigation. And when we're challenged, it makes us dig deeper and the truth becomes refined and we become more effective at presenting it. So we're not afraid of someone challenging our views when we stand on truth. But if you have no truth, you have to silence voices that do have it because the truth will destroy their false presentations. This is why those systems always do that. Liars will always seek to silence challenges to their view. See what's happening in our country today on so many issues. Thomas Jefferson wrote, If a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. Whenever the people are well informed, they can be trusted with their own government that whenever things get so far wrong as to attract their notice, they may be relied upon to set them right. Consider the the republicanism that we have in this country requires a well-informed and educated people. Consider the education of our populace today. What's happening in our public schools? It is not surprising that those who seek to destroy republicanism and Protestantism want to tear down history, replace it with false narratives, tear down statues, rename schools. It is not surprising that they insist on graduating people from one grade to the next, individuals who cannot read and do basic math. Those who haven't developed reasoning ability. Let's just pass them along. And and it's not surprising why they attack anyone who suggests that we actually require competence to advance. They attack with slurs of racist and whiteism. In the second testimony quote that I just read, the author talks about people not having an experience for themselves or relying on others to give them an experience. I frequently get this argument about personal experience from people of color. Some will cite their experience with racism, what they went through, and they will challenge me and say, I have no right to speak on it because I don't know what it's like with their experience. Well, from the same author that we've been reading, this is out of Third Testimony, page 68. Notice her description of experience. As I have said before, if I have, I have before stated, you, my sister, rely upon experience. Your experience decides you to pursue a certain course. But that which many term experience is not experience at all. It is simply habit or mere indulgence or blindly uh, and frequently uh, uh, ignorantly followed with a firm set determination without intelligent thought. Yeah, think about that today. (laughs) Or inquiry relative to the laws at work. She's talking design laws here, not rules at work laws at work, in the accomplishment of the result. Real experience, now listen to this, real experience is a variety of careful experiments made with a mind free from prejudice and uncontrolled by previous established opinions and habits. That's science, folks. A a true objective scientist. Let's see how it works. Let's see how reality works. Let's see if it's reproducible. Let's see if it happens consistently, predictably. The results, and then uh, established opinions happen. The results are marked with careful solicitude and an anxious desire to learn, to improve, 
to reform on every habit that is not in harmony with physical and moral laws. In other words, there's a heart that actually wants to grow and seek truth. It's not I'm going to do this to prove my preconceived idea, to validate what I already believe. No, my mind wants to grow. I'm a lover of truth. Keep on with the quote. The idea of others gainsaying, gainsaying means negating or disagreeing with you, gainsaying what you have learned by experience seems to you to be folly and even cruelty itself. Hey, this is my truth. Uh, uh, how dare you question my truth? That's, that's so unrighteous of you. That's what she's saying. To, for somebody to question your so-called truth or experience, oh, that's just folly or it's cruel. How cruel are you? Kim you want the quote. But there are more errors received and firmly retained from false ideas of experience than from any other cause. For the reason that what is generally termed experience is not experience at all. Because there has never been a fair trial by actual experiment and thorough investigation with a knowledge of the principles involved in the action. This woman's brilliant. Really, you understand, this is reality. She's, she's basing, experience to be valid has to be based in reality and in God's laws. So this perspective is based on design law, how God built reality, testing how reality works and coming to objective, unbiased conclusions. And we've seen a recent example of this in society, of the false experience setting aside design law. Those of us who love design law made a prediction. And when you understand design law, you can predict future events accurately. How many of you can predict what will happen if I let go of this? It is a future event. You don't have to have the gift of prophecy to know that it's going to hit the floor if you understand the laws that govern things. We made a prediction. That prediction has been proven true. We predicted that when Black Lives Matter movement moved to defund the police, that crime would worsen. Harm would come to communities. But the Black Lives Matter group and those who supported them claimed that their experience taught them that police are bad, police are abusive, they're white supremacists, and they're the source of violence among colored people. And that, that if, <clears throat> if, if uh, we only got rid of these enforcers of white power, then communities of color could thrive, would improve, and abuses and exploitations would stop. But those of us who understand Scripture, who understand God's design laws, understand crime is not a racial problem, it's a sin problem. And sin is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of all human beings born in sin, conceived in iniquity. And that when restraining powers are removed from the wicked. Notice what I said there. The righteous don't need the restraining powers because they wouldn't harm anybody. When the restraining powers are removed from the wicked, crime will surge. The malevolent will seize opportunity, seize opportunity. And the powerless and innocent will suffer. It's predictable. As the sun rising in the east. And what has happened in our communities where the police have been reduced? Soaring crime of all kinds, not just violent crime, but destruction of property, rampant stealing and shoplifting, resulting in stores closing in various communities, which, which injures the residents that live there because they have to travel farther for their basic needs. 
And what people have suffered the most? People of color. This is reality. It is completely predictable for those who understand God's design laws. The so-called experience that police are the problem isn't reality. Police, in general, make communities better. Despite the occasional officer who betrays their trust and commits crimes themselves and need to be removed, it is now so obvious that even the current president and his administration are calling for more police. Understand, if black lives really mattered to Black Lives Matter, they would never have advanced the defunded police movement. Black Lives Matter doesn't care about black lives. They care about power and about undermining the principles of republicanism and Protestantism. But because they have titled themselves Black Lives Matter, those who haven't trained themselves to look at evidence, those who have no individuality, those who rely on someone else in authority to tell them the answer, hear the label Black Lives Matter and believe the organization actually benefits people of color. It's a grand deception. Let me put it this way. Black Lives Matter is like the Marlboro Man. <laughs> if you understand the Marlboro Man was a perfect, pur purposely designed caricature by the tobacco industry to suggest that you can have better health, more vitality, strength, and manliness if you smoke Marlboros. But the reality is that cigarettes destroy health. Likewise, Black Lives Matter is designed to suggest by their title, their labeling, better lives for black people, while the principles they advance destroy communities, especially communities of color. Now, having said all this, I want to read an email I received this week and unpack it. It is a disturbing email, but a serious email that expresses a real problem that we as God's children and people are confronted with. And I believe that we must take these concerns seriously and answer the questions. This email is one of several um, similar ideas that I've received, and I'm going to read it in its entirety, except I'm going to leave the name off. Dr. Jennings, you often laud the principles of the United States, found, uh, the principles of the United States was founded upon. Yet you fail to acknowledge the continual pervasive presence of the principles of white supremacy embedded in the U.S. Constitution. There is no greater evidence of satanic influence, lies, and selfishness than white supremacy. It is, clear, it is clearly why Donald Trump was elected. It was why Mr. Trump correctly asserted that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose supporters. And it clearly continues to be the most dominant controlling influence in the Republican Party. Your unwillingness to, or inability to address this is as telling as Adventist un, unwillingness or inability to address the truths you clearly articulate about God's principles and design laws. All of the kingdoms of this world, including the United States, are the kingdoms of Satan. You have been dog-whistling and tacitly supporting this ideology. Are you capable of objectively acknowledging this self-evident truth? How can asking America to live up to the principles she espouses be racist? Are you capable of repudiating white supremacy without equivocation? I can't tell you the sadness I felt when I read this. When I read feedback, it, bra it really breaks, breaks my heart. And so to the writer, as a Christian, I want to say I love you. And I'm sorry for any injustice, racial or otherwise, you have experienced in your life. I was born, as everyone else, 
in sin and conceived in iniquity. I have nothing of myself to commend myself to you or anyone else. It is only by God's grace, by Jesus in me, that there's anything of value in me. I cannot right any wrongs that you may have suffered, but I can point you to Jesus who can. I don't know if this person who wrote this is white or black. I don't know. I don't know who wrote it. I know their name, but I don't know them. But I, I, want us to, I want us, the person who wrote this, and myself to be at one in Christ. Can we be at one in Christ? Only if we both have Christ in our hearts? Only if we both die to the methods and ways of this world? And only if we both embrace the practice and methods of God? It's the only way we can be one. So let me specifically address the concerns of the email. First, I have been saying for a long time and have written in multiple places that all the kingdoms of this world are Satan's. And all of them operate upon the principles of imposed law and therefore do injustice. So thank you for reminding us of this. I have written uh, that the lamb-like principles of religious and civic liberties established in our Constitution are going to be repudiated and that um, just as the Bible teaches, the beast with the lamb-like horns will eventually speak like a dragon. I described this in my blog series, The Six Powers of Satan and How to Overcome Them, Part 2. In Babylon, the mother of harlots, it's time to come out. Why am I citing these blogs? Because I am giving evidence that I have already been saying this for quite some time. I'm not just declaring that I've been teaching this. It's in writing. It's on the website. It's been there for a long time. And, and this person seems not to be aware of it. So I want you to know, I agree, all the kingdoms of the world are Satan's kingdom. In my blog, King of the North versus King of the South and today's end time events, I describe how Satan has two grand forces at work throughout human history. The forces of the King of the South, which is, which is godlessness represented by Egypt, who is God that I should know him, and includes paganism, evolutionism, humanism, secularism, communism. And they're opposed by the King of the North, which is religious imperialism represented by both Babylon and Rome, who will use the power of the state to force the belief in God. And those uh, two powers are at war with each other. And the power of the north will use power of the state to coerce people to believe. And how, and how the beautiful land, which represents God's people, are caught in the middle. They're not in either one of those groups. Satan pits these two forces against each other, but God's people are caught in the middle. And Satan tries to get God's people to pick one of these two sides when they're both his. We see this battle in society today. Wokeism, leftism, socialism, green greenism, Black Lives Matter, transgenderism. All of this is part of the godless king of the South movement and is pushing its agenda strongly, attacking the forces of the king of the North. And if we understand Daniel 11 correctly, the king of the North, religious imperialism, is going to storm out against the king of the South and destroy him. It's the last movement before Michael stands up. And God's people are in neither of these two groups. I've been saying this for a long time. So I have not been dog whistling for the GOP or the political right. I have been advocating for the principles of liberty, for truth, for individuals to think for themselves, to learn, to discern, to be able to tell the difference between actual evidence and interpretations, to apply God's design laws to your life to be, and, uh, and achieve godly solutions. But I understand why some think I'm advocating for the right. You see, when you stand on the left and someone calls you to the middle, 
you've got to move right. And when you stand on the right and someone calls you to the middle, you've got to move left. And so when I have written in my books and other places about equality for gay people under the law and that we should treat them with love as Christ treats uh, all of us, people on the right have accused me for dog whistling for the left. Now let's talk directly about racism. It is a real problem, but before we can talk about it, we must define it. If we use the same word, racism, but assign different meanings to the word, we may not be talking about the same thing and talk right past each other. I have done this in other areas, given a concise meaning for other confusing or t- topics or topics that manifest in lots of different ways. For instance, spiritualism, definition, pursuit of knowledge without investigation of the evidence or the use of your reasoning ability. And you, when you use that definition, you can spot spiritualism everywhere. Astrology, voodoo, palm reading, tarot cards. What do they want? They want some knowledge, some knowledge, some knowledge, some mystical knowledge. But they won't reason. They won't uh, uh, check the evidences God has given us. That's spiritualism. Legalism, a preoccupation with law and legal standing. Whether legalism of works or sacrifices or indulgence or the vicarious legalism of expunging legal records in courtrooms in heaven, it's still all legalism. Racism. This is the definition that I understand racism to be. is a preoccupation with race. It is using race as a factor in decision-making instead of ability, character, talent, achievement, merit, and accomplishment. With this definition, we can identify racism wherever it manifests, whether it's white supremacy or Japanese-Chinese racism or German-Slavic racism or what's happening in America today, white inferiority, black supremacy, the false guilt that drives race-based decision-making in our society today. At its root, racism is the same, using race as a factor to demarcate and differentiate rather than objective measures such as character, ability, talent, achievement. If we take the biblical worldview, there is only one race, the human race. We are descended from Adam. We're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is no one righteous, no, not one. And we all suffer from the same sin condition. We all need the same Savior as our solution. What matters is not ethnicity, but character. In a biblical worldview, there are only two groups, two, the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, the saved and the lost. And so Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We are either in Christ have the character of Christ, have the, the, the law written in the heart and mind so we become Christ-like, or we're not. Those who are in Christ, the outward appearance will not separate them. Those in Christ, the outward appearance doesn't matter. But if we remain worldly, the outward appearance is supreme. It is the ungodly who look at the outward appearance and make decisions based on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. So to the emailer, I'm sorry that you 
for any hurt you've experienced, whatever wrongs you've experienced in this world. But, but remember what Jesus said, John 16, 33. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world we will experience injustice because all the kingdoms of the world are Satan's and they all do injustice. It is only in Christ that we find health, life, peace, joy, and unity. And I want to be united with Christ, one with him, in love with God and with others. In order for us to overcome the world, to overcome fear, to overcome selfishness and racism, we must have God living in us. It requires we become united with God's methods and his principles and his ways. So what is it that separates people? What is it that causes the greatest division in societies? What is the biggest obstacle? Is it the color of our skin or is it the quality of our hearts and minds, our characters, the methods we practice? That's exactly right. If we both, the emailer and I, have Jesus in our hearts and love others more than self, our skin color won't be a problem. But if we have hurt feelings, jealousy, a sense of life being unfair, a feeling of being a disadvantage, a sense of being taken advantage of, of not being valued, of being misjudged, of being diminished based on our race, and we look to the kingdoms of the world to make it right, to fix the problem, to get the right laws, to get the right judges, the right enforcement, will we ever be united? Never. This is one of Satan's traps for the last day. Here's the trick of Satan, folks. Hear it clearly. He has his agents do real injustice and then tricks people into pursuing justice through Satan's laws, Satan's kingdoms, Satan's methods, which only incite more injustice and cause more division. We at Common Reason Ministries stand for equality of all people as children of God. We want to see all things in heaven and earth reconciled under one head, Jesus Christ. We seek to, adv- uh, to advance the good news of God's kingdom that when brought into hearts unites us into one family, the family of God. We are one people, children of God, who have the same principles or laws of God written in our hearts and thus we mature with Christ-like character. And this unity cannot be accomplished through legislation or human laws. Anything that undermines God's design of love, unity in Christ, equality of all people, children of God, is evil and we oppose it. Thus, we oppose racism in all of its forms because racism divides. And of course, I want to say this unequivocally, We oppose white supremacy. Absolutely. But hear me, folks. Saying this in our society today is like saying we oppose cigarette smoking, which we do, by the way. There was a time people didn't know the dangers of cigarette smoking. Worse, doctors used to prescribe it for lung disease as a treatment to make one healthy. But today, only people with impairments in thinking, mentally deranged individuals, think cigarette smoking is healthy. Likewise, there isn't anyone in society that I know who actually thinks white supremacy is okay or advances white supremacy. I don't know anybody who thinks that. Even if they have those struggles in their heart, they won't come out and say it. They know it's wrong, just like the, sm- the, the closet cigarette smoker. I know some of my patients, they smoke and they keep a secret. They don't want people to know. I'm not saying there might be people with those things, but they, they, they know it's not healthy. They know it's not right. 
This is why I don't often say it, because it's simply understood, like smoking to be wrong. It's common knowledge. Now, what are the principles of the Bible in regard to race and how we treat each other? Think that through. Identify those principles. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's about character. What I've already said. Now, think through. You've got the principles of the Bible in your mind on how we treat people of other cultures and other races. Think that through. What are the principles of Black Lives Matter and critical race theory and wokeism? Are they the same as the Bible principles? No. Get your mind around that. If you're a Christian and you're aligning with these organizations and advancing their causes, you are working against the principles of the Bible. Racism is a preoccupation with race, using race as a criteria in decision-making, set of abilities, competencies, character, achievements. We, do we find the principles of racism being practiced, endorsed, institutionalized, and advanced in society today? You bet we do. But where? Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Understand reality. We cannot get rid of racism by practicing racism. If we make race a criteria in our decision-making, our policy-making, our admissions to schools, our priorities in awarding government tr contracts, our practices for corporate advancement and board memberships, we are only perpetuating racism. We're not eliminating it. We cannot drive out racism from hearts, minds, and society by screaming racism, 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 or by practicing race-based hiring practices as a means of correcting historic racism that only perpetuates racism. The only way to eradicate racism is to love people as Jesus, to practice God's methods in our lives, to create equal opportunity for individual ability, hard work, merit, talent, and achievement to differentiate. No matter how well-intentioned, Corrective race-based practices are by definition racist and perpetuate racism. Jesus said, Mark 3.23, this is the remedy version, how can Satan enter a person and by entering get rid of Satan? <laughs> Think about it. It would be like using water to get rid of wetness. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream that my four little girls will one day live in a nation where they are, will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. In God's kingdom, it's about the quality of each person's heart, mind, and character. This is what really matters. Is a person like Jesus in heart or not? The color of skin's irrelevant. Again, understand this reality. Human governments can never resolve racism. Because at its core, racism is a heart problem, not a behavior problem. And no laws imposed by government can instill love in the heart. Yes, governments can and should remove laws that are racist, remove laws that are racist, like Jim Crow laws, and ensure that the laws are, that are passed treat all people equally. But as soon as the government moves from treating all people equally under the law to advancing policies that favor one race or ethnic or gender group over others, then the government has institutionalized racism. And those who are godless will always seek to do this. Because the godless don't care about equality, about uplifting people. The godless want power, and they purposely craft policies to divide 
so they can conquer. We as Christians must not be duped into joining any of these political forces. We must stand on the principles of God, which are his design laws, which are freedom for all, because love only grows in an atmosphere of freedom. And I'm going to finish this response now with reading a few verses from the remedies of the Lord in song, the Psalms, chapter 19, 7 through 13. The design law of God is perfect, restoring one's life. The principles of the Lord are constant, imparting wisdom to those without it. The prescriptions of the Lord are right, bringing happiness to the life. The protocols of God are brilliant, enlightening the mind. Worship the Lord, worship of the Lord heals and is everlasting. The decisions of the Lord are always correct and completely righteous. They are more valuable than gold, even much refined gold, and they are sweeter than honey, even from the honeycomb. They teach those who serve you how reality works. In living in harmony with them, there is great benefit. Who can identify every defect in the heart? Heal everything, even what I cannot see. Change my heart. Refrain me from selfish choices. Don't let selfishness control me. Then I will be spiritually healthy, free from the deviations from your great design. Okay, question, comments? Just quickly wanted to say, don't you think that the currency used among all of these is fear. And that just as love casts out fear, fear casts out love. No, that's exactly right. Fear and love are inversely proportional. When fear goes up, it drives selfishness, and we become more self-referenced. The more we look at self, we become more fearful of all the threats we see. And only as we have God's love in our hearts, and I'll tell you, neurobiologically, we've done studies on this. When you can get people to activate their love circuits, and we can do that in studies where people will meditate on a God of love for 30 days, and we can see growth in the love circuits of their brain, and they have lower heart rates and blood pressure because it calms the fear circuits of the brain. So we see neurobiologically that when our love circuits are active, we become less fearful and we become less fearful, we become less self-referenced. So this is exactly right. And this is why the messaging for the last 18 months or so, or two years now in this country, has been fear, 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 fear. Because when you become fearful, you not only become less loving, you become less reasonable, and you become less capable of discerning truth. You become reactionary. You're more willing to listen to somebody in authority to tell you what to do so you can be safe. And that's what's happening with this whole COVID fiasco. It's fear, fear, fear. The biggest threat to the world population is not the virus. It's the fear that is being generated in the hearts and minds of men that's destroying character and love and taking liberties and destroying individuality and autonomy and with, filled with tons of misinformation and silencing and deplatforming. And, and if, you, if you haven't been watching, the corruption that's happening in this country on individual liberties of speech and... and uh, and, and autonomy and healthcare decision making. What what you what you put in your own body? Because what happened in this country, you understand, was not constant. There's no law basis. It was a it was a power authoritarian grab. And if you understand again the history of of the nation states, remember Satan in in the Bible wanted to rise up and take God's throne and rule over. Where Christ did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but surrendered himself all the way to the cross in order to sacrifice himself to lift up. Satan's form of government always has an elite group that exploit the masses for the advantage of the few elites. And that's through all human history. Pharaohs, emperors, kings, queens, popes. 
until Protestant Reformation and the Bible in the hands of the people, and they discovered the two great principles of Protestantism and Republicanism, and they set up a constitution to restrain the powers that exploit the masses. And Satan has hated it, and he's been attacking it since. And his most recent attack is to try to frame the the founding of this country, not on the principles of Protestantism and Republicanism that I went through, but to claim that it's race-based. It is most certainly not race-based. It was the principles of the Constitution that led to the end of slavery. Understand that slavery didn't happen with the founding of the United States. Slavery was already in existence from the colonial powers that found that, that these were colonies of, and they rebelled and threw off the colonial powers and set the foundation for the laws that allowed for the elimination of slavery. But we have this corrupt thing happening because it's actually an attack on Christianity. It's Satan's end-time movement to try to destroy, to suck people into godlessness on the one hand, or to suck people into the retaliatory king of the north, religious imperialism on the other hand. And it's coming, folks. If you don't feel it, the backlash is coming. And I, I use this example. Why it's going to be so crushing? If you had uh, uh, invested in a stock and you got a prospectus and you did your due diligence and you, and you evaluated it, you understood the risks and everything was told you was true and you invested your money and it didn't do well and you lost your money, you're kind of sad, you're disappointed. But what happens if you invest your money and later you find out you were Ponzi schemed, you invested with Bernie Madoff? Are you now just sad you lost your money or is there an, an, a certain a righteous indignation, an anger? Uh, 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 you want to punish them. This country's been Ponzi schemed. I'm telling you, there's a huge, giant, fraudulent process that has been happening on several levels, but it's all coming from the left. It's part of the, the king of the south. And the king of the north will retaliate and will come back with the power of the state to crush that. And God's people are not in either group. Hear that again. I'm not advocating for the right. I'm describing what's actually happening in our world, and we need to be vigilant to not be caught up in it. And we did not get to our lesson today, and I'm not even going to try at this point. But if you want the notes, I did have notes that went through the lesson, and there's a lot of stuff about uh, come to me, labor, and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Ken. You referenced individualism as being one of the targets of this uh, anti-constitutional, anti-American ideology. And what's amazing to me is to see how much mob mentality has, has overtaken um, not only the country, but various groups who think that, that somehow they can just sort of aggregate and become a force of, uh, of change, a force of coercion. Yeah, I agree with you. But if you're familiar with your revelation, at the end of time, when these systems rise, all the merchants of the earth are complicit in these things. And you see the merchants of the earth being complicit today because they want more money. They don't want to offend. And so you see a lot of merchants of the earth today doing things that are anti-American, anti-Protestant principles of republicanism and Protestantism. You see that happening um, in their um, woke practices because they believe it will help their business bottom line. They, They have no morals. Their only moral is greed and money. And this is what they'll do. And the merchants of the earth, of course, eventually also have uh, serious consequences uh, that will come because of this. So uh, let's close this with prayer, and then we'll take a short break and do our Q&A time. Dear Lord, we are so thankful that you do not run your kingdom like the kingdoms of this world. We ask again for your spirit of truth and love to come in. We want unity. We want to come together as a people under Jesus Christ, united with him. And so we ask that the spirit will come in and take all that Christ has achieved and reproduce it in us. So it's no longer 
me, Tim Jennings, or anyone else living. It's Jesus living in me. And that we can have patience and kindness and and uh, the fruits of the Spirit, ultimately self-governance and discernment and self-control, that we can uh, act wisely, um, but also in, in a true spirit of Christian love. We pray in your holy name. Amen.